Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Encouragement for you. And so today I have the honor and the challenge of preaching through the entire final chapter of, of the book. And ends up there's a lot of great stuff in here. Um, and so we're going to... Uh, move through it uh, relatively quickly, but I hope that this, uh, this series isn't merely just like, oh, I, I heard the series and now I grasp First John, but that this is even a, a launching pad for you to, to take these uh, sermons and the, the ideas that we've learned in, in the, the teachings from the, the various teachers that have come through, and as we dive into First John ourselves, that we allow the, the message of, of John to walk in the light, to run after love for God, and to run after love for others, to let that percolate and resonate in our spirits and in our hearts. And so we're going to move quickly through uh, the fifth chapter today, but I encourage you to take some time to, to think about it. There's a couple of interesting things in, in this uh, chapter, uh, and if you have more questions, I would be super happy to sit down and talk with you uh, about those things. So a couple years ago, my family and I rented a, a little cottage on a lake in Jackson, Michigan, and we also rented a, a pontoon boat because the year before that, we had rented a, a cottage and not a pontoon boat, and I just sat sadly on the shore watching other people uh, on pontoon boats. And so, so Amber's like, hey, I got an idea, let's just... Instead of being sad, and it, I wasn't sad, it was great, but I really enjoyed having the, the pontoon boat, and we would get on there, and we would tool around the lake, and we'd eat lunch, and we'd jump off, and we'd go swimming, and it was great. Well, the last day, we wanted to take advantage of the, the pontoon boat. This was the last day that we had it. We were going home the, the next day, and so we are like, we're, we're going out, and we go out, we got our picnic lunch, we got our towels and our bathing suits, and the wind is really, really blowing, and we're like... Oh, well, we've been fine. Shouldn't be a, a big deal. Hey. Hey. Shouldn't be a big deal. And so we got uh, on the boat, and we went out in the lake, and we would drop the anchor, and it didn't seem to matter where we would drop the anchor. That wind would just blow the boat into the shore. And, and so we would go out into the middle of the lake and drop our little piddly anchor, and Molly and the kids would jump into the... Uh, into the, into the lake, and then the, the boat would come like crashing into them, and they'd have to swim around, and Molly's lake, or her towel blew into the lake and got lost, and, and we were just at the mercy all day of the, the wind. And as, uh, as I was preparing this message, I just uh, remembered, or just this idea that in my life, I often felt like that pontoon boat, right? I'm just out in, in the mercy of the wind and the waves, and it seems like life is battering me into the shore. And I am trying to lay down, you know, put down my little anchor, you know, trying to put my hope in my, my job or my family or this thing or something that's not as healthy as that. And yet nothing brings stability. I'm just constantly blown into the shore. And I think that John 
Is this old man writing this letter to this church, possibly a church in Ephesus, is answering the same questions that the, this, uh, his church members are asking. You know, we, they seem, we, and we've seen this throughout the letter, they seem blown about by the, the winds of different teachings, heresies, these antichrists are rising up. We see them blown about by the, the, the desires of this world, what John says are the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Right? They're being blown every which way. And in John 5, as he is through the rest of, of this book, I think that what John is trying to communicate to his people and what he's trying to communicate to us is that we can find confidence and we can find stability in Jesus Christ. And so that is going to be our big takeaway today. Can we turn the uh, slides to the, the TV to the correct channel? So what we're going to see today, and I think the main message of, of John 5 here, is that in Christ we can find confidence in turbulent times. Like I said, we may try to find security, find purchase in a bunch of other things in life. and It's like putting down this little baby anchor in the midst of the wind. And so we're going to see here that we can have confidence in Christ in three ways. And so, so the, challenge of, the, the challenge of teaching uh, expositionally through this whole chapter is that I, when I am speaking, I am going to assume, and you guys are smarter, very, very smart, and I'm not talking about you, but I'm talking about most audiences. I'm hoping that most people can take, remember one thing that I say, <laughs> right? I want them to, I, they're, they're going to hopefully remember one thing. And what I find in the, in the, the book of, of John, in this whole chapter, he actually says a lot of really, really good things. All right. So what I'm looking for is what is the, the common denominator? What is, the common, what is he trying to accomplish in this section? I think he's trying to say that we can have confidence in Jesus Christ, and we can see that in three... We're going to break the, section, the text into three sections. We can have confidence in our victory in Jesus. We can have confidence in the testimony of Jesus, or the testimony about Jesus, and we can have confidence in God. And that confidence in God, spoiler, there's uh, three sub-points in that one. So we have six, we have a sweet six-point sermon here, uh, but the common denominator, we can have confidence in Christ in the midst of a turbulent world. So we're going to start in John 5, 1 through 5. So join with me if you will. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And so we are continuing on the, a, a similar trajectory. We are talking about obeying God, loving God, loving others. And he continues in chapter, or in verse 3 and 4, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? 
Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And in these ancient texts, if we look at the original manuscripts, they're written in in Greek. There's no capital letters. There's no spaces between words. They don't have, they don't use bold. They don't underline. They don't have exclamation points. They don't have italics. And so the way that these ancient authors would uh, reinforce or uh, what they're saying, or try to communicate that I'm really serious about this point, is that they will use repetition. And so here, John uses the word overcome three times in three sentences. All right? Everyone born of God overcomes the world. So who is the, what does that mean, the born of God? And John has talked to lot about this in his book, but it's this person who has moved from darkness into the light. Right? We see Paul talk about that in Colossians. We've been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the, the sun of his light. Right? He, that is, we are born, we are a new creation. And, in, and we are a new creation. How do we become a new creation? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, so this is the, almost the NIV translation. They, they put it, this is victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. I don't know why they put the word even in there, because it's not in, in the Greek, it's not in the ESV, it's not in the NASB, so I just removed it. I didn't like it. It's our faith. Even makes it go, like, even our faith plus what? I don't know what that means. So just, this is the victory, our faith, our faith in Jesus. It brings us into him. Here is where we overcome. This is where we have victory. Right? And what does, what does he mean? Why is he saying this? What does this mean to us? It means that even though we might feel blown this way and that by the circumstances of life, something difficult, we've all walked through difficult circumstances, or maybe we're walking through difficult circumstances right now, and if neither of those is true, you're probably on the cusp of walking through difficult circumstances. Like Jesus told us, in this life you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we are not our own. We are brought into Christ. And now Christ's victory is our victory. We've overcome the world. We might feel battered this way and that by sin, the, 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 the lust of the flesh, that old man the, that, that's supposed to be dead, right, that kind of comes clawing his way back into our lives, you know, going, go do this thing, go do that thing, it'll make you happy. We're trying to, to find something that will be an anchor that will make us feel stable in the, the storms of life. Well, well, John says that in the midst of the onslaught of sin and corruption and death, you are an overcomer. And this mindset matters. When we just think, I'm just a sinner, I'm just messed up, I'm, I'm lost, and someday Jesus is going to come back and save me, and I'll just do the, the best I can. We are going to continue to be battered by this world and our culture, and sin and all this garbage, but if we, in the face of these circumstances, in the face of, of sin and the, the lust of the, the flesh and the pride of, of life, we go, wait a minute, I am in Christ. I am an overcomer. I am dead to sin. I don't need to be beholden to this thing anymore. 
Jesus, would you come and wash me clean? We saw early on in in John that uh, he says that anyone who confesses their sin, God is faithful and just to forgive them. We don't need to make penance when we mess up, right? We don't have to go through two weeks of super holy living so that we can get back into God's good graces. No, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and in Christ, we are victorious. We can walk victorious in sin. And this is through faith. It's not through... um, the secret knowledge that these heretics in the wherever John is writing to are talking about it is not because of we're this class. Or it's not because you know in John's day they're Greeks or Jews. Jews are going to be overcomers and Greeks are just going to get by. No, there's none of that in the kingdom. It's not about race or, or class or genetics or anything like that. In Christ, we overcome through faith. Okay, Mark, you've done it. You've communicated that. Next, confidence in the testimony of Jesus. So let's look in, start in chapter 5, verse 6 through 12. So this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so here we have one of John's a little bit more cryptic messages. We're like, what is he talking about here? And I believe that he's writing 2,000 years ago. The, The people that he's writing to were not struggling. They knew what he meant. Right? But here we are, 2,000 years later, there's a, there's a lot of space between us, you know, culturally, uh, our language is different, there's this big space, and so we have to go, well, what is John talking about? What does he mean? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but he came by blood too. Okay, thanks, John, very helpful. Very, thanks for that clarification. But again, what John is doing, like he has done throughout this letter, is he is um, coming against uh, heretics who are speaking lies about who Jesus is and the character of Jesus. Many people of that time, uh, these early Gnostics, were saying that, that Jesus was born a man, just a regular man like any of us. And then at his uh, baptism... by John in the Jordan, that then the Holy Spirit or the the divine spirit came and rested on him, and now he's kind of this dual man and divine. And so then he goes on his three-year, three-and-a-half-year mission, his ministry, earthly ministry. But right before he... uh, goes to the cross, right before his passion, he, the, the, the divine spirit leaves him, and Jesus, the man, 
dies on the cross. And this is what they were teaching because they thought it doesn't make any sense to us that God would endure the pain and the shame of the cross. That is crazy. And so John is saying that Jesus came by water. Earlier, at the very beginning, he made it very clear that Jesus is eternal. But here he is kind of attacking this particular heresy. And so what's interesting, this is a free aside, is that all of these letters, when we are reading them, it's like we're listening... When you, when you were a kid and your mom would answer the phone and you would just listen to, to one half of the conversation and in your mind you're kind of making up, like, oh, I bet this is what the other person is saying. Does that make sense? Well, all of these letters are written in a, a response. Most of them are written in a, in a response to questions that this church had written to the, the author, whether it's Paul or John or Jude or somebody uh, or Peter or whatever, and they're answering these are their answers. So we, are, we have the answers that John is giving to this church. The only problem is we don't have the questions. And so that's why we do historical cultural studies, trying to understand what was the situation here in, in John's church that he's writing to. And so what is he trying to answer? And so if he is actually trying to answer this heresy, this, this Gnostic heresy that denied the divinity of Christ, denied that, that Jesus actually, the Christ, died on the cross, then it becomes a little bit more clear that what John is saying is that this water, he came by water, absolutely, Jesus was baptized, the, the Holy Spirit, God the Father testified, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Jesus came in the baptism. But he also came by blood. It was Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who died on the cross. And so why John is talking about this, why John is, uh, is coming against this heresy is because we absolutely need Jesus to be divine. We absolutely need the pure, perfect, spotless Son of God to die in our place on the cross because nothing else could do it. If Jesus was just a man, the, the divine spirit left him and just a man dies on the cross, we're in big trouble because we're still dead in our sins, Right? And so, John is very clear, you have to understand who you're putting your faith in. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. And so here, John brings in another part of this threefold testimony. We don't only have the water and the blood, but we also have the Spirit. And and John contrasts God's testimony with human testimony. Again, probably dealing with these heretics, these apostates in in, in the church that are spreading lies about who Jesus is. And and John's like, man, we believe the, the testimony of humanity, of humans, of people. You know, we, you know, the Bible even says where two or three a, a, agree on something, right? Let it be so, right? And so we understand human testimony. And so these people are listening to these, 
these heretics, these people that are denying the, the divinity of, of Jesus, and they're putting all their faith in their probably very wise and smart-sounding arguments, right? Oh, that actually does make sense. I can see your point of view, right? I think many of us have dealt with that, you know, in, in school or, you know, in the, the movies or in the news. We see all these different worldviews, right? And a lot of times, like, oh, man, that makes sense. It kind of does make sense. You know, maybe, maybe that is right. Maybe, you know, what I learned in church is, is wrong. And, and so we have all of these competing worldviews and ideas kind of swirling around in, in our brain. And, and John is saying, I keep wanting to say Paul. Paul didn't write every book in the New Testament. There's some other people. This one's John. It's always John. Uh, so John is saying that, yeah, the human testimony is good, but there is a testimony that is greater than any human testimony. And that is God's testimony. The spirit inside of us. Right? And we live in a culture, and I am part of it, right, that we don't like that because it feels really subjective, right? It kind of feels like, can I really believe, like, what does that mean? I've, I want to I be able to prove it in a lab, right? I want to know the truth. I want to have a really sound argument. But this kind of, this idea of a spirit just talking to my spirit feels really weird. But this is the reality. This is how God works. God is spirit. God communicates to us through the Spirit. And God testifies through His Holy Spirit. We're going to look at a couple of things here. First, at the baptism of Jesus in 1 John that we already quoted. This is my son. People saw the Spirit descend like a dove and rest on Jesus. They heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son. Right? God testifying that Jesus is divine, that He is the Son of God. But then we also see that the, the Spirit testifies in our hearts. So we're going to turn real quick to Romans 5. 5? Here's, this one's actually written by Paul. Good news. I can say Paul now. 5, 5. And hope does not put us, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love is revealed to our hearts. And there's something inside of us that's just like, I just know. I just know that Jesus is the truth. And we need that Holy Spirit revelation. John talked about it at the very end of chapter 3. Chapter 3. Let's get back to John. Oops. John 3. 3. This one I just caught this morning, I'm embarrassed to say. Okay, 3.10. 1 John 3.10. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. That's not it. 24. <laughs> the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Right? There is a spirit inside of us testifying that Jesus is true, that what Jesus said is the truth, that he is who he said he is. I listened to this uh, great interview uh, this week. It's on a podcast. His name is Preston Sprinkle, and he interviews a, a bunch of people in the, in the scholars and academics and different uh, people in the Christian community, and he was talking to this guy who is studying under N.T. Wright, 
um, in at Oxford or Cambridge or something, and he's moving. He's almost uh, done with his doctorate degree under N.T. Wright, who's this fancy New Testament scholar who's real hot right now. And um, and so, but this guy is a he's a same-sex attracted celibate Christian, um, and so he identifies as gay, but he has you know he's identified as same-sex attracted, but he's living a celibate lifestyle, and now he's pursuing his uh, theology degree under N.T. Wright. He's a really smart guy. He's writing a book. But he was telling his, his story, and he grew up in a, a Christian home, and, but he uh, realized or came to this conclusion that, that he was, was gay, and he came out and was dating the, this guy there, 14 years old, and one day these, these two, him and his boyfriend, were in a, a park, and they were, I don't know, they were holding hands or whatever, and somebody came up behind them, picked up a rock, and threw it into his back. And at that moment, he just, he just completely, he's like, There's, I don't want to have anything to do with Christians. We, and the thing is, we don't know, that guy may have been a Christian, may not, we, we just don't know anything about that guy. But in this moment, he just saw the, the anger and the, this kind of fundamentalism and this kind of the nasty side of, of Christianity, and he just rejected it. He became a, practically an atheist, though maybe more an agnostic, and he did everything in his power to remove himself from the church, right? And so here's this atheist guy, uh, living a gay lifestyle, running after his own secular desires, doing what he wants. And he's interviewing this, he's a journalist, he's interviewing this, um, this lady who made a movie. And he's talking to her, and he's like, how, how did you manage to get this incredible award in the movie industry uh, at, at 23? Like, that seems incredible. It was just, he was just wanted to know how she'd succeeded so much. And so she's like, well, do you want to know the, the real reason? He's like, yeah, I want to really know. And she's like, it was God. And he's immediately like, what? I don't want to, you know, I don't care. Like, this is crazy. Another one of these crazy Christians. And, and she's like, I just feel like I need to pray for you right now. And he's just like, oh. you know, he's just like, doesn't want. And he said that she put his hand on her, her hand on him, and he felt an oil pouring over him. And something changed in his heart. And he and not immediately, but he, it, it changed. And he's like, and at that moment, I knew that Jesus was real in my heart. Right? He wasn't argued in. Right? He was against it. He wasn't looking for it. It was the Holy Spirit revealing to his heart that Jesus is real. Right? In each one of, and, that, and it changed his whole life. And it's really easy for me and for others that I know to kind of, like, we don't, I, don't, I kind of want to ignore that kind of still, quiet voice. I want to see it on paper. I want to figure it out. Like, I want, you know, I want the, all the apologetics, right? I want to know this is why Jesus is true, so I don't have to take this leap of faith. But the reality is there is a spirit that testifies inside of us that says Jesus is the truth. And this is the testimony God has given us. The testimony that speaks inside of us is that we have eternal life in Jesus. In Jesus. And this is not just eternal life, which means forever and ever and ever, which it absolutely includes that, right? We get to enjoy the presence of God for all of eternity, but it also is the quality of our life. 
Jesus has paid uh, the, the penalty for our sins so that we could come into complete freedom. What we have overcome, we have overcome the, the, the world and the sin and the corruption. We've stepped into freedom. And this freedom isn't just we're waiting and longing for it someday when Jesus comes back and we will step into it. We have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We can experience the freedom of God right here and right now. We have eternal life. Jesus has, has paved the way to bring us back into his presence, set us free from sin. He, when he died, he, he ripped the, the curtain in two, right? And so not only are we restored in, uh, in our morality, in our ethics, but we're also restored into the very presence of God. There's nothing separating us from God. We are in the kingdom. And that's where we find eternal life. All right, now I've done it. Okay, fast. Number three. So we have confidence that we have overcome, we have freedom. We have confidence in the testimony of who Jesus is, both from natural revelation through the, you know, the, looking at the galaxies, looking at cellular biology, looking at how the, the church has endured through all of these centuries. If we study the, this book, how this book has, has made it through, like there's no reason that we should be holding a, a Bible in, in our hands. It should have been destroyed with all the other ancient documents. And yet we have more copies of biblical manuscripts going back thousands of years than any other book in the world. It's incredible. And they keep finding more manuscripts. It's, it's ridiculous. And so it's a natural testimony of the goodness of God, but we also have that supernatural revelation in our hearts. Okay, stop talking, Mark. Good. Confidence in God. Let's see, 1 John 13 through 21. We're going to go through this fast, friends. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. There's another one of those fun parts we got to talk about. 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Okay. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So this is officially that last section of the book, and I believe that, that John is kind of encapsulating a lot of the, the teachings, the things that he has already communicated in the, the rest of his letter. And so in this section, we see, and these are all kind of echoes of things he's already said, we can have confidence in God because he hears us. He hears it when we pray. 
we can have confidence in God because he protects us. In the midst of this fallen and corrupt and broken world, God protects us. And we can have confidence in God because he reveals himself to us, things we've already talked about today. So he hears us. In John 3.22, if you go back a couple of chapters, uh, John said, we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him, right? We talk to God, we can know that he answers if we keep his commands. And he continues on to say his commands, right, are to, to love God and to, to love others. But here in John 5, we have a, a, another variable. If we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us and answers our prayers. So what is John talking about here? Is this just a blank check? That'd be nice. I want a pony. I don't know. I don't really want a pony. I don't have any room for a pony. I want a new car and actually a nice sofa. I want those. But that's not really what John is talking about, right? John, what is, in the context, what, what John is saying is that when we ask him anything according to his will, which is knowing him, right? Throughout the, the Bible, we've been taught, or throughout the Bible, throughout First John, we've been talking about moving from darkness into light, moving from hatred into love. We want to move towards knowing him, knowing his love for us. Right? We know that it is his will that we overcome sin, that we overcome the world. When we pray that we can get victory over these things that keep blasting into us and keep pushing us into the shore, we know that he answers us. He answers us when we say, God, will you help me to be obedient to you, to do what you have called me to do? He's happy to answer that. He's happy to help us to love others. Right? And then throughout the, the New Testament, we see other things that he's happy to answer. Right? He, he's gonna, he will be happy to give us the, the, the Holy Spirit. If, his, if, his fa- if a son asks his father for an egg, his father's not going to give him a, a scorpion. But if a father's going to give good gifts, how much more am I going to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God wants to give the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit come fruit and gifts. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We, we get those in abundance. He's happy to give us those things. Gifts, uh, tongues, prophecy, uh, healing, wisdom, discernment, uh, all the gifts we see numerous uh, lists in the New Testament. He's happy to give us those things. And so when we ask according to his will, he answers. Okay. And then we have... All right, I just have to spend a minute on this because this is one of those texts that you just go, Huh. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. All right, good. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Hmm, okay. Doesn't all sin lead to death? What's going on here? There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Okay. All wrongdoing is sin and there is a sin that does not lead to death. All right. So at this point, I would like to have Dale come up and explain that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) <laughs> all right uh so this is what this was like i don't know what's going on here and so i dove into it prayerfully and looked at a bunch of commentaries and here's the thing here's the thing folks very very smart people from all across the evangelical spectrum 
have different opinions about what this means, all right? And so we want to be careful of anybody that's like, this is absolutely what this means, because it's just, the language is just a bit, a little bit weird, a little bit different. I think that the people receiving this letter understood what he said, you know, and so we have to just be careful um, that we're not making some huge doctrine out of something that is mentioned once or twice in the Bible and that we don't really know exactly what it means. Even Peter, our good friend Peter, wrote that some of the things that Paul says are just confusing. Like, and, like, and if Peter is confused, I feel okay to be confused. But I think we can, I think we can, I think we can tackle this. Um, one uh, commentator who I really respect, many of the things it says, his name is David Guzik, and, and others uh, see this, the sin that does not lead to death, or the sin that leads to death as um, kind of this reference to what we saw in Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11 with Ananias and Sapphira. You know, that if somebody sins and God strikes them down, you don't have to pray for them. <laughs> Um, okay, well, that seems clear enough, easy. Uh, we also see in, Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to them, and he says, there's actually some of you that are getting sick and some of you that are dying because of the way you're mistreating communion. And so could this be along those lines? Very possibly. That seems very clean and, and easy. But another uh, thing that I think we need to at least consider is that John here is attacking, not attacking, he is coming against these heretics, these people who are spreading doctrinal lies about who Jesus is. And he is saying, let's see if I have it in the next, yeah, okay, so at, at the beginning of this chunk, he's saying, don't just pray for yourself, all right? God answers your, your prayers if you, uh, if you obey him and you ask according to his will, he will... Uh, he will answer your prayers. But don't just pray for yourself, but also for your brothers and sisters. All right? Our John Stott, a fantastic theologian, says the way to deal with sin in the congregation is to pray. And so here Paul, no, not Paul, here John is saying when somebody in the congregation is sinning, your first response should be to pray for them. Yeah. Right? And I think we've all been in the church or been in community long enough to realize that people are going to let us down. People are going to, to mess up. People do stuff that is irritating and is painful to us. And our response in the, the community of faith is to pray for that person. And, Paul, and John says that that prayer is effective. All right, uh, right here in, in verse 16, prayer is effective. Our role is to pray. So if George does something that is offensive to me, he would never actually do that. But say he, he did, my, what, my response is not to go to Lou and talk to Lou. Oh, you would not believe what George did. Well, man, what a jerk, right? Like, it's not that. It's not to avoid George. Like, I think I can still go to church and, and not ever talk to, to George. Why does it get weird sometimes? Okay. That's weird. Uh, the, the, the response to sin in the community is we pray for them, and God is going to answer that prayer. He is going to give life to that person who is sinning. All right, but John is also talking about these, these heretics that are spreading lies, and it seems that he is talking about people who are apostate, people who have um, 
renounced the faith. They have denied Christ. And this is tough. This is tough stuff. And we see it in Hebrews chapter 6. We see it in Hebrews 10 and chapter 12. It appears that the author is saying that there are people who have tasted of the goodness, who have entered into Christ and then have turned away and rejected it and run so far away that they are apostate. They are outside of the faith. That brings up a lot of questions, but it makes sense in what John was dealing with. There's people in the church that you should pray for and God will give them life, but there's people in the church that are doing such bad things, destroying, attacking the, who Jesus is, that he just has to be take, you just have to send him out of the church. And I think that is the sin that, that leads to death, apostasy, heresy, and, the, and just a complete rejection of God without turning around. All right. That's, that's tough. There you go. That's, that's what I think. Uh, but it could be a couple other things. <laughs> so, all right. He, so if you want to talk more about that, we're running out of time. I'd be happy to. Um, it's just a thick, heavy conversation. You know, can somebody apostatize? There's good, faithful, evangelical Christians on both sides of that, uh, of that debate. Um, but I think you can. Okay, um, so we can have confidence that God hears us. We can have confidence that God protects us. He keeps us safe. You know, we've talked about this in the midst of this world of sin and corruption and death and dying. We only find security and confidence in Jesus Christ talked about that and he reveals himself he has given us understanding so that we may know him the holy spirit speaks to our spirit telling us and that yes jesus is true jesus is the way the truth and the life he is the only way to eternal life and so the question i want to leave with us today is what about you what where do you land with this are you feeling battered by the the winds of of doubt you know is jesus really who he says he is is he is he the only way is there other ways right are you feeling beaten down by the waves of of sin you know you just it seems like sin is uh ever present in your life and you can't get free from it are you lost in the the whirlwind of your circumstances there's all so much garbage happening in in your life it just feels that you're blown this way and that Well, today I think that our takeaway from 1 John is that even in all of these situations, we can have confidence in Christ who protects us, who hears us, who reveals himself to us, who gives us victory, and who testifies of himself to our hearts. And if we want more of that, it's not just by thinking and working hard, though there is benefit there, but it is by receiving Jesus Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit and allowing him to reveal himself to you. So I think I'm just going to close um, because I've gone so long. So, Father, would you guys stand with me? Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come right now. Lord, we thank you that in you we we have overcome. 
that there is victory and freedom and joy. There is liberty in you. And we are, we are set free from sin and death. I pray that you would reveal that to our hearts right now. Lord, I pray that for those struggling with knowing you, knowing who you are, finding uh, assurance in the knowledge of your unfailing love, that you would reveal yourself right now to every heart, to every mind right now. Yes. And Lord, in the tumultuous times of life, let each one of us find strength and comfort and stability and confidence in you. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.